Hello and welcome to Bread and Thread, a podcast about food and domestic history. I'm Liz. And I'm Hazel. We are two friends who studied archaeology together and love history and making and or baking in things inspired um, by history. So we normally start by talking about what we've been doing recently before we get to our main topic. So what have you been up to? Um, I've, I've made progress on the Godzilla, as always. Amazing. How is it? It's it's good. I'm I'm still working on the ocean because okay. this well the thing is it is twelve by eighteen inches. <laughs> so it's it's taken some time. As the the thing about counted embroidery, it does take significant time. There are five stripes of ocean. One of the stripes used a whole skein of embroidery floss. Wow. Okay. Uh, but also, after last episode, I have started working on a Gamzee for Amazing. for my sister. It, it's purple and it's custom. Like I, I, I picked out some cables for it based on her suggestion rather than just using a, a pre-made pattern. So that's quite exciting. Amazing. Bespoke Gansey. Bespoke Gansey. <laughs> that hopefully gonna... will not take as long as the Knives Out one did. Oh, wow. Yeah. It is, it is not as cable hell. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I figure you've earned a bit of a break from that. Yeah. But also, I really like cabling. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm a glutton for punishment. <laughs> I know what you mean when it comes to um, taking on very complicated creative projects. Oh, a third thing. Oh, actually, a third thing and a fourth thing. I have made some soap for my mum. Um, independent of Mother's Day coming up, it's just the fact that it needs to sit for a month after making it. <laughs> But it's it's these I didn't colour them because mm-hmm. she wanted a fairly plain one, so it's just these little oval sort of creamy coloured floral scented bars with lavender heads in. Oh nice. And it's it's very fancy. It feels slightly like hotel soap, but that's what was requested. <laughs> so Hotel soap is fancy. We just have very different tastes in, in soap, I think. In soap. <laughs> And Nick and I have also started making some honey beer. Oh wow! So it's so it's been it's been busy at Blake House. Different from from mead. Um, imagine mead but with hops. Yeah. Okay. I gotcha. Oh, that sounds good. It smells good. It smells really good. The kitchen smelled of fish food when we were boiling the hops. <laughs> But it turns out it's very fun to sit on the floor next to a big bucket of water and dissolve honey into it. I bet. <laughs> and I make no apologies for this. I felt like a gremlin. It's all kicking off at Blake Towers. It is. <laughs> what about you? You've, um, you've regained access to your supplies. I have, yeah. I haven't been quite as productive. Um, but I am now home. 
and can access all of my projects, <laughs> which is amazing. Um, yeah, I finished those the little uh, hand warmers I was making for my um, my teachers on placement, and I, yeah, I gave them to them. It was nice. Um, what else have I been doing? Oh, so a while ago, I I planted some seeds, which is a bit of a departure for me because I don't often garden. Um, even though I like it, but um yeah so i'm trying to grow some dye plants this year mm -hmm. uh following on from my experiment last year of growing woad which didn't work out very well because i planted them all in a very comfrey infested area and comfrey just aggressively takes over everything um so i don't know if the woad is still there or not we'll see <laughs> we'll find out i guess um but I am currently trying to grow some Dyer's Greenweed, which uh, gives a very strong yellow colour. Uh, not green, <laughs> but um, but you can use it with woad to make green, of course. So yeah, I'm trying to dye some, dye, grow some Dyer's Greenweed. Um, the only thing is I'm not sure what it looks like in its like tiny form, so I'm just kind of hovering... I can't really weed them yet, just in case I accidentally pull out the plants. So um that that is gonna be ongoing. And if it works, then I will definitely be dying with it this summer. Um it's a it's a biannual, I think. Um and I might try I might try some other plants. Um We'll see how it goes. I wanted to try growing some madder, but apparently that takes like five years to become established. And it's a fair while for something so small. It is, yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's pretty small roots as well, so I don't know. Like, I'm not sure if I'm gonna be here that long, really. I guess so... you could try like propagating it in an egg tray or something. Yeah, but then it grow. It needs to be like it's a ground uh, plant. It's like a root. Ah. Uh, so okay. yeah, it needs its space really. It's it's not like I was a just thinking of the top part. Yeah, no, it's not like a growing in a pot plant. The the root is the part that you actually die from. Um, so that's good. That's gonna be on the back burner for a bit, I think. But eventually, someday in the future, I will have my beautiful dye garden. With all of the things. Um, oh, speaking of which, um, I probably talked about this last year, but I've um, the fabric that I dyed last year with apple bark. Um, I'm finally in the process of making that into a skirt, and I have discovered Ooh. using a fork to make pleats, which is honestly just the using most genius. Fork? Yeah, you get a fork. And um, you like put your fabric between one of the prongs of the fork, and you twist it, um, and then you take it out, and you keep doing that, and you just get like perfect pleats. It's great. <laughs> Never heard of that. That's genius. <laughs> it's absolute genius. So I'm attempting to make a pleated skirt um, using that fabric. So I will, yeah, I will um, document that process. Um, 
as it happens, but I've only I've only just got up to um, starting at the moment, so I'm gonna try and get the pleating done tonight, and then um, I've got some really nice shell buttons that I'm gonna use because I haven't got a zip, and I can't be bothered to go and get one, so I'm gonna try and make it like button up, and maybe do some embroidery, and we'll see how that goes. Very swanky. Yeah. <laughs> Don't tell anyone that it's a bed sheet. <laughs> I mean, it's not anymore. I mean, I didn't know it was until you said on well, this podcast that people listen to. Exactly. I know. Maybe I shouldn't have said because my rule of thumb is that. If you can't tell I made it out of a bedsheet, then you don't get to snark about me having made clothes out of a bedsheet. <laughs> I mean, it's a good sh- a good source of big fabric. Well, exactly. And this is, you know, I haven't... Um, I've made a few things before, but I'm still relatively new to making clothes. So it's just great to have something to practice on that, you know, otherwise we weren't going to use. Because um, it's just an old one that we had that, like, had a stain on it. So I chopped that bit off and dyed it. Um, yeah. So that's what's going on. <laughs> what are we talking about today? So this is one that was requested over on the Bread and Thread Tumblr. And I thought it was kind of topical at the moment. Okay. Um, so I want to talk about sunflowers. I think it's a good time to talk about that. Like seasonally, geopolitically... They're just very appropriate at the moment. Yeah, yeah. And also very interesting and have many applications. They're pretty. (laughs) They are. (laughs) They're one of my favourite flowers. End of episode. Um, So sunflowers, there's a bunch of different species under the genus Helianthus. Oh, good name. Um, which is a a modern name for them that comes from the ancient Greek words for sun and flower. Ah, so <laughs> sunflowers are called sunflowers. Shockingly, <laughs> the Greek name uh, is quite pretty, though. It is. But it is unfortunately one of the sort of we need to give this a scientific name. What would the ancient Greeks have called it if they'd had them? Oh, I see. It, it came after calling it a sunflower. <laughs> That's funny. Um, <laughs> so yeah, they they were actually domesticated um, three to five thousand years ago. It's hard to be precise. Mm-hmm. Um, Around the southern US and Mexico. Okay. Seems to have been for the seeds. Which, I mean, are delicious, to be fair. Definitely. Do they have any, like, do they have a lot of nutritional value? They do, actually. Um, So... They're a really good source of um, omega-3 and 6. Oh, wow. Especially omega-6, which is apparently... It's classified as an essential nutrient because it's one of the ones that the body can't make. Ah. Um, And it also 
helps cholesterol. Okay. Oh, so, yeah. Sunflower spread is marketed as as cholesterol reducing, right? Yeah, it increases the HDL and lowers the LDL, which basically means when you hear about good and bad cholesterol, it's got lots of the good kind mm -hmm. and helps get rid of the bad kind. All right. Okay. And is also delicious. It is delicious. Um, I will. I will get back to that. Um, <laughs> so yeah, the the seeds were grown by various indigenous groups and brought back to Europe by European invaders in the 16th century. And they very quickly realised that they could use them for oil. Ah. How do they extract the oil from the sunflower seeds? Is it like a pressing? Or... It, it is pressing, yeah. Okay. Um, there's actually three kinds of seeds from the um, Helianthus anus, which is the annual sunflower, the, the kind that you associate with the word sunflower. Okay. Um, although the Jerusalem artichoke is also a sunflower. No way! Yeah. <laughs> That's Which, amazing. It's not a food that I've ever had, but it, it pops up a lot on cooking shows. Okay. I don't wait, is that different from a normal artichoke? Yeah, um the Jerusalem artichoke is a tuber. Oh. Um it's also called things like the sunroot or earth apple. No way. Um, that's a little bit further north than the Helianthus anus. Oh, I'm looking at pictures of them now, and yeah, they do look like little sunflowers. Huh, that's amazing. But yeah, so you can also get root vegetables from this same genus, which is quite fun. Yeah, <laughs> that's so cool. Oh, there's one that gives them the alternative name of sunchokes. Sunchoke sounds like a vampire disease. <laughs> but yeah, um, Jerusalem artichokes are actually really good for dietary fibre. Oh. Um, when things have added fibre, like processed foods, that often comes from Jerusalem artichokes. Oh, right. Wow. So they're like fancy potatoes. Kind of. Um, you can even ferment them oh my gosh um there's a spirit produced in uh germany called Topinamber, which just means jerusalem artichoke apparently that is so incredibly niche and i love it but yeah you, you can get um jerusalem artichoke brandy okay i know you don't drink but i pledge to try that for you According to EU rules, um, to be sold as um, Topping Amber Brandt Wine, or Brandt Vine, probably, um, or Jerusalem Artichoke Brandy. Um, it must be made exclusively from Jerusalem Artichokes. Makes sense. And at least 38% alcohol by volume. Great. 
so uh, <laughs> can one get a hold of some? <laughs> um, I mean, I would assume Germany, because that's that's where it's made. Uh... uh, if you add other things like um something called tormentil mm-hmm. and currants, you get a kind of schnapps. Jerusalem artichoke schnapps. Oh, I I'm seeing one website that sells that, which is indeed in Germany. Mm-hmm. Honest, earthy, and tart. Huh. That's how I've been described. <laughs> I'm saying nothing. <laughs> um, but yeah, Jerusalem artichokes were also pushed as a biofuel crop for a while, which is quite oh. cool. <laughs> okay. Wow. Um, but going back to Helianthus anus, which is, as I say, the, the main sunflower that you think of. Um, so it became a big thing to grow for oil under the Russian Empire. Okay. Um, so much so that it became the national flower of Ukraine. Oh, wow. Which That's how that comes from. was a part of that empire. Mm-hmm. Um, and now produces 15 million metric tons of sunflower seeds a year. Oh my goodness. Which is equivalent to about 25 tonnes per square kilometre. That's like an un... My brain brain cannot grasp that amount. That's a lot of sunflower seeds. That's so many. Um, Again, mostly for oil, even now. um, Which is... Mostly used either as a cooking oil or for margarine, which I think makes the best margarine for baking with. Ah. Like, purely just my my own personal tastes. <laughs> but we we always used margarine for cakes growing up because my mum can't have dairy, and I found that 100% sunflower made the cakes that tasted nicest to me. Okay. Interesting. Don't really bake that much with margarine. I used to do it with my granddad because I think it's just like how he was used to baking. But I'm gonna have to give it a go. Yeah, like like I say, I don't I don't have any evidence for it being better, <laughs> but I prefer it. And it does have a nice yellow color that you don't get as much with other margarines. Mm. Yeah, I do like sunflower spread. Um, so yeah, it became a big oil crop in North America in the twentieth century as well. Okay. Um, just as just a general thing of margarine is cheaper to produce than butter, and then later on, margarine is healthier than butter. Mm. So we will grow all of the sunflower seeds everywhere we can. But you can also just eat sunflower seeds. Yeah. Um, I I found a list of flavors of sunflower seeds that are sold in the U.S. Um, gone. I can so tell cho- this is going to be good. Chocolate coated, which I can attest are delicious. Okay. Uh, plain roasted. Standard. Salted. Okay. Okay. Barbecue. Yeah. Hot sauce. Right. 
bacon. What? Nacho cheese. No. Pickle. <laughs> Why? And ranch. What? <laughs> your your noises suggest you don't want to try pickle or ranch sunflower seeds. I mean, I'm not saying I wouldn't try it, you know, if it was there. I just don't think I would go out of my way to buy a pack of ranch-flavoured sunflower <laughs> seeds. See, I think I would, just out of a sort of morbid curiosity. Like, not because <laughs> I think they would taste good. But why? But if they're they were there, I think I would have to try them. <laughs> <laughs> why would you forsake nature's great flavouring of salt? in favour of artificial ranch. As opposed to natural ranch dressing. Yeah. Which is harvested from cacti. From from the ranch fields. <laughs> that was like the other 20% of uh, early North American agri agriculture was the ranch fields, right? Yeah. Not to I be mean confused with the ranches. Yeah, it's it's difficult to keep them separate in your mind. <laughs> you just got to remember one has horses and the other one doesn't. Unless you're using the horses on the ranch farm because you don't have a tractor. Oh uh, yeah, that that's true. If you if you need to like plow up the ranch, um, I know about America. <laughs> <laughs> don't at us. <laughs> Unless you're going to tell us about your great granddaddy's time in the ranch field industry <laughs> um but yeah so so yeah sunflower seeds are also a fairly common street food in um the mediterranean eastern europe and um a lot of asia as well mm -hmm. i have to imagine not pickle or ranch flavor but you know i might be wrong no apparently it's like a popular like bar snack basically. Yeah, um, it's also been used as an aid to quit chewing tobacco. That makes sense. Um, if you've seen the film Holes. I have indeed. Mr. Sir ch chews sunflower seeds because he's trying to give up tobacco. Oh uh, yeah, because so he's quitting That's like an actual thing. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Uh, you can also get in especially Belarus, Ukraine, Russia and Romania, you can get sunflower brittle. Oh. Um and sunflower butter. That sounds quite nice. Yeah, apparently sunflower butter is it's not as high in protein as peanut butter, mm -hmm. but it still has a lot. Okay. And most people who are allergic to peanuts can have sunflower butter. Oh, there was one study where one participant was allergic to both peanuts and sunflower butter. Mm -hmm. um, but it's generally considered safe. Awesome. It's, it's likely that that person had two separate allergies rather than it being oh, okay. the peanut allergy. Um, so that's been a thing since the 1980s. And has has spread to a lot of places. I th I think I've seen it in like health food shops. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's much bigger in in Eastern Europe. 
Um, interestingly, though, yeah, so the bit of the sunflower that we refer to as the flower is not the flower. What, the bit with the petals? Yeah. Um, it's what? what's called a false flower or capitula. <gasps> no, I can't believe sunflowers have been lying to me this whole time. They have. They are deceitful. Unacceptable. The the capitula is actually made up of lots of little flowers, no each way. of which becomes one sunflower seed. Wow. I did not know that. <laughs> which, yeah, I mean, doesn't really affect us as people who just eat sunflower and don't really, you know, don't really think about it beyond that most of the time. But yeah, sunflowers are liars. <laughs> that was incredible. I will forgive them because their seeds and products are so delicious. But <laughs> no way. <laughs> should, yeah, the... should call them sun liars. Sick yeah. burn. Yeah. Because uh, apparently to... sunflower seeds also show up in a lot of um, halva which is a collective term for a, a lot of different uh, Middle Eastern grain-based sweets. Okay. Yeah, I think I've I've seen, like, one kind that's a sort of, like, sticky, um, like, sweet. I don't know how to describe it, but... Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> but again, it imparts that kind of nutty flavour without putting nuts in. Mm. So, like, seems like sunflowers are really good for people with nut allergies. <laughs> if you get all that protein and taste, and unless you're that one person, you're probably not allergic to it. Unless you're very unlucky. Yeah. Um, interestingly, with saying about Jerusalem artichokes being used for biomass fuel, mm -hmm. um, there have been some experiments into using sunflower seed hulls sort of left over from processing as okay. biomass fuel as well. Ah, how did that go? Um, I mean, it it works, but it's a question of whether it's viable okay. without growing a lot of extra sunflower seeds just for the biomass. Yeah, whether the, the sort of process, the amount it takes to do it is worth it. Okay. That's interesting, though. Wow. Before we move on to Localada, I do just want to... So, when you're a kid, you get told, I think a lot of people do, that sunflowers turn to face the sun mm -hmm. to help with photosynthesis. Okay. That's not true. Oh, so many sunflower lies! <laughs> well... Where does it end? Because the thing is, I think... When you're a kid, you're like, yeah, that makes sense. But it's the leaves that do the photosynthesis. It does, absolutely. Uh, I'd... Honestly, if someone told me that now, I believe them. <laughs> but it's the leaves that do the photosynthesis, not the flower. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Um, there's a theory that the reason they do it is it warms the flower up, which attracts more pollinating insects. Oh, I love that. 
They just want a warm place to sit and eat their nectar. She wants some sun on their face. From all of the tiny real flowers within the giant liar's flower. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's beautiful. I love sunflowers even more. And also they're very pretty. They are. They are great. I'm so happy. <laughs> so yeah, that is, that is my brief history of sunflowers and I guess also Jerusalem artichokes. Well, it counts if they're in the same category. I think. It, it's all helianthus. <laughs> helianthus all the way down. Yeah, because the artichokes are under the ground. It's all <laughs> oh! <laughs> That's it. The podcast finished. We're done. We're never going to top that. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for listening uh, over the past couple of years. Um, we hope you've enjoyed it. Goodbye. <laughs> On the other hand, you could send us a suggestion at Tumblr at Bread and Thread or by emailing breadandthreadpodcast at gmail.com. You know, if if you maybe didn't want the podcast to end. Nice segue. Yeah, and you know, if for some reason you enjoy listening to us and and you would like to in particular hear us talk about something, um, then please do that. This episode, I think you said, was a suggestion. It was. Yep. Uh, you can also check out our Twitter at Bread and Thread uh, for things, pictures of things that we talked about on the show, links that we mentioned we will put up there, teasers for upcoming episodes, and we also just re- retweet, that's what they call it on Twitter, right? Um, <laughs> things that we find interesting. Guess which one of us does the social media? <laughs> I don't. I've never had Twitter. It's it's just a whole list of things that are designed to make you angry, pumped straight into your eyeballs. Yeah, um, but not on um, our Twitter. <laughs> if you want things that aren't designed to make you angry, you can sign up to our Patreon. Yes, to that is... to, a, to a Discord and recipes, which I think this month was Welsh cakes because Pancake Day was on the same day as St David's Day. <laughs> Can I make pancakes with leeks in them? I mean, you could do that, or you could make Welsh cakes, which are great. <laughs> We're also on YouTube, also Bread and Thread, um, where we have uh, YouTube versions of episodes, in case you prefer what get getting your domestic history goodness through that medium. And I think that's everything. So what is the local larder? Hello, I'm Mod Pencil from Probably Bad RPG Ideas. If you'd like to hear discussions of ideas such as what if in my urban fantasy game magic turns out to not be real and what is the best rules for an O, then listen to the Probably Bad podcast, which is available on everywhere podcasts are and also YouTube. Or check out our Tumblr and Twitter. Okay, so... um. Since I, I'm a bit late to the party on this, but since it has fairly recently been the Lunar New Year, about a month ago, um, I thought I would um, talk about something related to that before it gets far enough away that I can't link it back to Lunar New Year. So, um, 
I am going to introduce you to Bang Chung, or Chung Cake, which is a Vietnamese New Year uh, food. So this is traditionally eaten um, at the Festival of Tet, which is the Vietnamese New Year, which takes place at the Lunar New Year. And it is, it is a cake, but it is a savoury cake. Okay. And it's also not baked. <laughs> so it's a cake in the sense that, like, it is, it is caked. It's the, the definition of cake, which is one unit of food. Yes, it is. It is an absolute unit. <laughs> it, this is the cakiest cake that you will ever come across. Um, so there is also a story that goes along with this traditional food. Oh, um, the best part. Exactly. <laughs> you know we love a food-related story. Uh, so Bang Chung is my accent is terrible i do apologize <laughs> but um it is made out of very simple ingredients it's just rice the sticky rice glutinous rice uh mung beans and pork uh like belly pork the kind that has fat on it um and that is pretty much it and it's wrapped in banana leaves and then it is boiled. And yeah, I could get into this. That is that is the basic way of making a chunk cake. Um there are like various different versions. Um but the sort of most popular one, especially in the northern parts of Vietnam, is the one that I described. Um, now, the story that goes along with this cake, I'm going to start with that and then I will talk a little bit more about the sort of preparation. The story that goes along with this cake um, goes back to the sixth Hung Emperor, who at the time was ruling Vietnam. And this is this is sort of in the realm of a long, long time ago. And he was he was getting very old, thinking it was time to pass on to, to, to decide who was going to inherit his kingdom. Okay, not time to pass on, is it just time to die? <laughs> I mean, also probably that at some point. But, um, you know, re realising his uh, inherent mortality suddenly, um, he decided it was time to, uh, to settle the question of inheritance. Um, and decide which of his 22 sons was going to take the throne. That's a lot of sons. It is quite a lot of sons, and therefore requires a, a bit of creative thinking about how to decide who is the best one to take on the, the kingdom, indeed the empire. And so he decided to hold a cooking contest. Naturally. Of course. Um, so the one... The, the son um, that could cook the best dish that would um, sort of satisfy his tastes and the one that pleased him the most um, would be his heir. 
So the sons traveled far and wide, um, looking for the rarest, the most expensive foods, all except for Prince Liu, who was the 18th son. And sadly, his mother died when he was young. And so he he didn't really have that much growing up because when you're the 18th son, not that much is allocated you compared to the other ones. Um, and so while the other sons were were out looking for the most expensive delicacies, um, he was just at home really and he didn't know what he was going to do. And then a few days before the end of the contest, he was thinking about all of the different foods and what he could possibly do. And as he fell asleep, he was thinking about this. And he had a dream in which a goddess appeared and told him what to do and showed him how to make these two dishes. One of them was Bang Chung and the other one was Bang Zai, which is another kind of rice cake. Um, so he woke up and he got to cooking and he made this, this cake exactly as it had been described to him in his dream using just the humblest ingredients, you know, the, the belly of the pork, the fatty bit, the beans and the rice and shaped it into a square shape to represent the earth, while the other cake was made into a round shape to represent the heavens. And on the day of the contest, people came to watch, and the other princes laid out their very rare, expensive foods, which, according to one of the versions I found, um, included things like pangolins livers and bear arms sure <laughs> and prince Yu brought up his offering which people laughed at at first because it looked so humble this this kind of square of rice and then they tasted it and it was delicious and the emperor saw that you know as well as being delicious it represented the greenery of their country and represented the earth and the heavens and was truly a, a genius genius food um, and so Prince Lu was declared the winner and inherited the kingdom I like that it was great <laughs> it's just a nice little story in which making the, the humble but delicious food just wins the day. So that that is like the origin story of chung cake, if you will. Um, but so as I mentioned, it's traditionally eaten in the festival of Tet, um, and there is a good reason for this <laughs> that it is like a particular festival food because you might think, even though like it sounds fairly humble, it actually takes quite a long time to prepare. So you take the banana leaves and you make up this cake with the layers of rice, mung bean, 
pork in the middle seasoned um mung bean then rice and then you fold it you fold it kind of wrap it like a present in the banana leaves into this square parcel so the square shape shape um is supposed to represent like the earth and then the contents represents the plants and the animals and everything mm-hmm. and so when you've you wrapped it and you've tied it around um with strings so that it's all sort of held in nicely into this square shape and then you boil it and it has to be boiled for 8 to 12 hours oh wow so <laughs> it's apparently it's uh, traditionally kind of a festive event where you make like you know a whole batch of these cakes and you put them in traditionally it's cooked in um a big cylindrical pot with a, a wood fire underneath so people just sort of sit around and talk and swap stories and stuff um and and like relax as the as the chung cake cooks um or sometimes it's cooked like overnight as well um and then when it's done, the green colour of the banana leaves is like imparted to the surface of the cake. So you unwrap it and it's green. Um, and then you can sort of cut it open. Oh, it's very sticky. Um, and that's it. You have chin cake. And um, you can have like a few different accompaniments with it. Apparently there's like um, a certain kind of pickles that go really well with it. Um, I've had it with soy sauce, which is probably wrong, <laughs> but it still tastes good. <laughs> or you can have like fish sauce or like whatever. Um, yeah, apparently it is really good fried as well if you have like leftovers. Oh, that does I've sound not... good, just crisping up a little bit. Yeah, I have not tried that. I would really like to. Um, so yeah, that is chunk cake. Um, as you might expect, uh, it is not very common for families like especially in the city to like make their own chung cake now because it just takes so long um so like you can buy it or there will be like you can just order it from like people who um like specialize in making it like as a sort of side thing at the holiday or will have all the equipment to make it um but either way still delicious it is pretty, I will say, it's quite, um, quite heavy. <laughs> it's pretty dense. I mean, given when Lunar New Year tends to fall, I don't think that's the worst thing. Oh yeah, it definitely gives you that winter energy. Stick to your ribs. Oh yeah, good stuff. Good, uh, good honest food. And yeah, few ingredients and like relatively easily available ones. So it's kind of easy to see why it became such a popular traditional food. Um, and that is Bang Chung, and it is delicious. Uh, next know. episode will be either a book or a biography. I forgot to say as well, um, I will link on the Twitter to a um, video about Chung Cake. If anyone is interested in like seeing the process of that being made. Oh, nice. I'm I'm quite interested. I will zap it over to you now.
But yeah, um, for now, thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.